Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Seat Yourself podcast. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. And of course, everybody knows by now that Seat Yourself is our weekly podcast where we cover the news, the items, and anything really of interest and relevancy to the food service and hospitality industry. Today, this episode is number 117 of Seat Yourself, and it's published the week of May 31st, 2021. And we're coming to you again from Studio A of the Tabletop Journal Studios right here in beautiful Baltimore on America's East Coast. And this week, we've got a familiar treat for you here on Seat Yourself. Today, we're going to once again be joined by Greg Kirish. And Greg, of course, is one of our co-hosts from our other podcast, which is called Every Other Thursday. And if you haven't checked that out, it's Every Other Thursday podcast. Com. And now, periodically, Greg heads out on these wonderful culinary adventures, and we try to get a full debriefing from him on upon his return. And normally, we discuss them on every other Thursday, just like we do with our other host over there, Jay Alley. But today, in light of America's food service and hospitality industry re-emerging from its pandemic period, I thought it'd be great to have Greg come on to seat yourself and discuss his latest sojourn. He traveled to the great state of Arizona. And so with all of that, Let's give a very warm welcome, a big warm welcome back, a seat yourself welcome back to our friend and colleague, Greg Kirish. Greg, welcome back. Good morning. Great to have you back with, with us here on See Yourself. Now, everybody's familiar with Greg Kirish on every other Thursday. All, all our listeners are familiar with him there. But occasionally he stops back around and uh, see yourself. And today we're lucky to have him. He's just coming off a trip. And right before we went on air, we were talking about it was really hot where you were, Greg. And now it's 40 degrees in Chicago. What's up with the weather? You tell me. You tell me. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm just I'm, I'm traveling around the country trying to trying to stay warm. You're traveling around the country, though. That's the key part of that phrase. And uh, tell us a little bit about some of the places that you're going to uh, elaborate on as we go through the show today. Where were, where have you been traveling to? About uh, a month ago, I was in Austin, Texas, and we talked about that on the other podcast every yeah, other we did. Thursday. This last, I guess, 11 or 12 days, I did a uh, food tour through Arizona. And I wanted to see. I wanted to see what was what was going on out there. Now I've done a lot of things before, but I don't know if I've ever called them any of them food tours. What do you mean by food tour? I uh, wanted to see what was going on with the food service scene out there, the restaurants and bars, and also uh, retail. I keep on hearing and reading about how Tucson is, for example, is one of these cities that's a it's a bellwether. It's supposed to be on the forefront of food culture. And Scottsdale is another example of a city that's supposed to be on the forefront of restaurant concepts. And a lot of people moving and traveling through there. And here at the end of the, uh, hopefully the end of the um, lockdown phase of the pandemic, I wanted to see what was going on and maybe project then what's going on, what will be going on for the rest of the country. Yeah, I think that area of the country, both the city, Tucson, Scottsdale, Phoenix, et cetera, all that area, I think there probably are a lot of things going on. But you also, the interesting thing, I don't know if it's Tucson so much, but in, certainly in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, you've got a lot of California people moving over there. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the kind of influence, did you see any of the influence of that at all? 
Well, culinary wise, culinary wise. I guess I mean in general, everything looked extremely vibrant. There was just a lot going on. New new places, traditional places. All the restaurants were. Um, like, for example, in Tucson, we're full. Now, the good thing is, is people that live in Arizona probably are well aware of this. I I just lucked out in that in, in the Scottsdale area, area, in Phoenix area, for example, I was walking around and it was, and it was eerily empty. And I'm and I just wow, walked. That's, walked a, that's in, interesting. Yeah, you know, I just walked into restaurants and bars and I, was, and I asked what was going on. And historically, this time of year is when. The snowbirds, the, the winter tourists go home, and the summer tourists with their children haven't shown up yet. The temperature is typically in the hundreds Fahrenheit, but we just had fantastic weather, very moderate temperatures, and no people. So I just walked into wherever we wanted. So it was hard to judge exactly what was hot and what was not by the crowds but we were told that yeah, typically you know it would be long waits reservations mandatory for most of these places did you have any sense that uh, on a scale of one to ten let's say that on a scale of one everybody's really nervous about pandemic and the safety was the ultra high priority versus 10 where it's maybe the wild west and nobody even heard of covid nobody cared about where where, where was that sort of that covid and that safety is a priority kind of thing. Where did that fall on the scale of one to 10? Well, I guess, I guess I'd give it a solid six because I was wondering about that because Arizona is in the news where uh, there's pushback against face mask mandates, etc. But everywhere we went, you know, to get into the restaurant, people wore masks, the waitstaff wore masks. There didn't seem to be any pushback Everybody's happy. It's everybody did social distancing. The tables were separated. I, I just didn't feel any any tension at all. Yet I felt safe. Yeah, the things seemed to be working just fine, and I wasn't ex- really expecting that from what I was reading in the papers and seeing the news here for, in Chicago. I think sometimes the the media needs a story to sell and 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 so forth, and and it, any kind of aberration from what you just described that's really more becomes more of a story than anything else. I think the idea that hospitality and food service business is an incredibly creative and therefore has found ways to sort of adapt itself to the current situation. And by the way, that situation, obviously very fluid, but it not only is it creative and adaptable, uh, it's a very resilient industry. And I think I'm glad to see that all the doom and gloom from perhaps a year ago that were predicted, and even on our other podcast, we gave some pretty dire projections on closures and stuff like that. Some of that has failed to materialize, but certainly everybody in the in the food service and hospitality industry has been really hammered with it. But there looks like there's a lot of those restaurateurs are actually going to survive, and certainly with government help, too. Well, that's one of the reasons, uh, I, like I said, I went out there. And my background was originally in, uh, in research, and I found that you could spend as much time as you want on the phone, watching the news, reading the news on the internet, but nothing beats actually being on the ground and seeing what's going on. And I, I just came back with a much different perspective than I, than I had anticipated. Not that I was anticipating doom and gloom, but it was very vibrant. I thought I felt Not a lot of boarded felt, up stores and all that stuff. Right. I felt very comfortable. Yeah. So it was, it was great, Good. but I did have a little boost out there. Uh, I have uh, a good friend from my craft foods days, Harry, 
Crane, who is a uh, Renaissance man that retired out there. He's got a background in anthropology, MBA from Northwestern, Le Cordon Bleu, Paris graduate, and he was the uh, uh, chef at, at Oscar Mayer. Kraft, corporate chef? Corporate chef for yeah. Oscar Mayer most recently, but also at uh, Kraft Food Service and uh, Retail. And so he retired out there, and uh, he was my springboard in uh, Tucson. Wow. He, and his, he and his wife, Andrea, and showed me around. It was great having someone on the ground that could quickly show you the ropes and where to go. And uh, we went everything from lowbrow to highbrow. Uh, historical places. It was very interesting, and I, I, I really feel I got a good feeling for the place because, again, I keep on hearing about Tucson being this gastronomic bellwether, this, you know, they're on the cutting edge. And I think a lot of people that might show up in Tucson would, go, would show up and go, what? what? Where is it? I, I don't see it. But if you start looking and know where to go, there's a lot going on out there. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear about some of that, uh, but I, I right now I want to take a second and I want to alert you, both you and our listeners that, again, I mentioned in the intro, we're in Studio A this week of the Tabletop Journal Studios, and Studio A happens to have some active train tracks not far by, so you may get the added bonus today of a little train whistle or two coming through. And to add, you're in Baltimore and I'm in Chicago as we record here. And speaking of trains... No, no better segue. Everybody loves trains. You actually have a train nearby you as well. About 100 yards away at the commuter train. Right? But we, I, don't, I don't know that we've ever actually on our other podcast, I don't know that we've ever actually heard the train whistle from your train, though. We may hear, we may or may not. I can hear it in the distance. Depends on how loud they want to be and how obnoxious. It's a holiday weekend. The train conductor may uh, may feel like he wants to blow his whistle a little bit. Well, that probably is a testament to our good engineer, sound engineer, Derek. So thank yeah, you, so Derek. Derek in the dominoes. So <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. All right. Back to the culinary uh, uh, crossroads of the world, Tucson and, uh, and Scottsdale. It's not all the ethnic food that you think it would be is it down in the, in those cities well yes and yes and yes and no you can get just about anything you're you're looking for but there is a lot of course mexican because mm-hmm. you're so close you're close so close to the border culturally Correct. Uh, but also there seems to be a lot of of immigrants in those cultures from uh, south asia the middle east so yeah. uh, what so for example Harry took me to a Middle Eastern store caravan there, and they have a they have a restaurant adjoining the store, and that store is a small ethnic store, and it was just amazing. I've been in many Middle Eastern restaurants, and I've seen I saw things there in Tucson I've never seen before. And then he took me to a large Asian market, Lili International. And it was just an amazing place. And I think a lot of people are familiar with H Mart. But in this place, Lili held up well against H Mart and was organized in a way that someone that didn't know about Asian food could really 
learn a lot. I was just fascinated. Now, for, the, for our listeners that we have out there who may not have an HMART in their area, tell a little bit, of, just 30 seconds on what HMART is. I believe HMART is the largest chain of Asian markets in the U.S., and they're opening all over the country. In the Chicago area, there's a massive store here. I know they're in Atlanta. They're, all, okay. I think, throughout the East, East Coast. And it's very much focused on all the Southeast Asian cuisine, where um, this uh, Lili store in Tucson was very much focused on Asian, organized by aisles, Japanese, Korean. Chinese, etc. But they also had Middle Eastern, a whole range. And so it's just interesting because you can get a feel for who's in that city, who's shopping, what are they, what are they buying? And then looking at these products that I've been in the food industry a long time, I saw things I had never, never seen. And I worked in Asia and I've never seen, I've never seen before. It was really a, a great, a great experience. I love hearing you describe it like that because I think food and beverage is the gateway, if you will, to culturally understanding places that you may never visit in your life, or maybe you maybe you will. Maybe it'll make you want to go visit a place that, that you hadn't thought of before. But I think a lot of times uh, we see and hear about places far, far away from wherever our particular locale is. And food and beverage, introduction through food and beverage is the first step to understanding a place far away from where you are, or even if it's philosophically just far away. I, I love that, and, and I, I agree with you. Spending time in uh, ethnic grocers and markets and stuff like that is fascinating. By the way, the one thing that's interesting also, even if the language is, is sort of a challenge, you know, and I've been in those situations where language is a challenge, good people connect over food and beverage, even if the language is difficult, because you figure it out. Absolutely. And I know we here are focused largely on, on food service, but I found that it's great to go to these ethnic stores because they kind of are a barometer of what's going on in, in the broader food service scene. They jump from retail to food service because they go, they go, obviously they go hand in hand. And driving, you know, strip malls down there, I saw African markets, more Asian markets. There's a lot going down, on down there, and they have a long tradition of food service. Like one of the oldest, I, in fact, I think they claim to be the oldest Mexican restaurant in America, ongoing Mexican restaurant in America, is in Tucson, El Charo. And they've been in operation since 1922. I went, I went there, you know, everything all the way to, you know, national chains such as Frost, which is a gelato chain. By the way, gelato is doing very well in Tucson this time of year. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's funny, uh, you say gelato in Tucson and all that. One of my favorite places to go near my hometown is Portland, Maine. And Portland, Maine has an, such an incredible gelato shop there. And this gentleman and his wife move from Italy to come to Portland, Maine, if you can imagine it, and start what I would call a, as good a gelato shop as you'll find in, in anywhere in Italy and, and all that. And so great food is everywhere and it doesn't have to be, and it, it, really, it really travels really well. As long as the food is good quality, it'll travel. Absolutely. And it's fun seek, seeking those things out and, and getting a feel for it. And, and they are often the, the pioneers in neighborhoods and in, and in areas. And so that if, you, if you find those places, that's a good place to buy real estate because things are, things are going to be happening. 
and we've talked about this before on the on every other Thursday, our other podcast. I hate to keep plugging that, but that podcast for the for you seat yourself listeners who haven't listened to every other Thursday. That one, what, and you might say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that's a little bit more freeform. That has a, uh, a more of an international vibe, more of a culinary vibe, let's say. And, of course, we have two other hosts. Jay Alley's on there, too, with us. But one of the points we make a lot of times on every other Thursday is, is that, and, and it's a point that, that I try to remember all the time, and I, and I really believe it, is that, if there's a lot of problems in the world everywhere, in every corner of the world, there's problems, uh, whatever, whether it's Middle East, whether it's New York City now, and everything, or wherever. I always have the feeling that if we could all just sit and have a meal, a good meal together, the world would just be a safer and more peaceful and a more understanding place. I think food and beverage brings us all together. It marries us with people of different philosophies, whatever. It's hard to hate somebody that you sit sitting across the table and having a great meal for, uh, with. It's, it's really, it really is. So, so kudos. And Greg, Greg is our adventurer, our culinary adventurer. He goes out and explores all these things. He's actually like Johnny Appleseed, I think, trying to bring the world to better and it's singing harmony and all that stuff. I, I try. I try my best. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you do a great job. Hey, listen, we're with Greg Kirish. Greg is our host, co-host on uh, every other Thursday. One of our, uh, one of us, one of the three, the gang of three over there, and he's t- taking us through our most recent culinary adventure, traveling through Tucson and Scottsdale and Phoenix. And we've heard a little bit about Tucson. When we come back from the break, I want to hear Greg a little bit more. Finish up on Tucson, and then I want to get into Scottsdale and Phoenix area, and because that's a that's quite a bit bigger metropolitan area too. So we're here with Greg Kirish. We're learning lots of different types of culinary food, culinary adventures. So we'll be right back with more of Seat Yourself. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign-up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with Greg Kirish. Greg, of course, is our host, one of our co-hosts of Every Other Thursday, our other podcast. But this time, he's on Seat Yourself. We're really fortunate to have him back again. And Greg, was just, Greg you've, been, you've been great. You've been taking us through a little bit of Tucson. Where else did you go in uh, Tucson that you want to tell our listeners about? Well, I mentioned uh, El Charo. There's a great restaurant that the locals know about at the Art Museum, Cafe de la Carte which I would highly recommend. It's in one of the oldest houses in Tucson and that was eventually renovated and connected to the art museum. And uh, it has a traditional patio. You could, you know, you sit on it very, you know, it's great. And for basic breakfasts, the locals all know about Bobo's. Bobo's. Yes. I don't say this in a bad way. It is truly a, a simple diner. It's one of those comfort food places that's great. You mentioned uh, um, the cafe in the art museum. Now, when I think of going to a cafe in an art museum, I think of a great visual experience and the food being sort of middle fiddle. This wasn't the case there? The food was excellent, and the ambiance is great because, you you know, you have the nice weather there. You sit inside an inner courtyard. A lot of the uh, traditional houses 
in uh, Tucson were built in the Spanish style right up to the street and then with a courtyard behind and this is this as this one was and the courtyard has been taken over as a dining area you know simple fair straightforward good quality great place great location seems to be uh well known by the locals but it might be a place that's not as known to as visitors there's just a, a lot of a lot of really cool places if once you start digging below the surface the surface out there in tucson Going up to Scottsdale, and Scottsdale, I know people that that watch Scottsdale to see what's going to be going on throughout the country because a lot of concepts, it's a good incubator for concepts out there. Is Scottsdale growing as much as I think it's growing? Well, it's everything. Everything to me looked brand new, super clean, spreading out right at the edge of the of the uh, desert landscape. So it seems to it seems to be going by leaps leaps and bounds. Again, this is a, a, a strange time between seasons. So I was walking around and it was and it was eerily quiet. But it was just I think because of the transition of the seasons, which was to my advantage as I walked into places. But there's a chef owner has at least two places or three places in the Scottsdale area, Zinc Bistro and The Mission. Two totally different places, just a couple hundred yards away. One is super upscale tacos, and the other, Zinc, the Zinc Bistro French, both excellent. And and I'd like to say one other place is the Barrio Queen. Went there for uh, happy hour bar food. It was some of the best bar food for happy hour, I've, I've I've ever had. I love it when you think about the meal afterwards, and maybe the next day it comes to your mind that you think about how good that was, and that yeah. was one of those places. So that's the pro tip for going to Scottsdale: is check out Barrio Queen for the best bar food. Yeah, they had uh, like chili rellenos that weren't battered and weren't deep fried; they were roasted, and it was it was. I, I don't want to be over overly dramatic, but they were transformational. I loved them. I love it. Going for a transformational culinary experience at the Barrio Queen. Perfect. And I don't want to miss out here. I, I th- Looking backward to Tucson, is there is a taco restaurant there called Boca. And how good can tacos be? They were the best tacos I've ever had in my, in my life. And uh, it's a place on 4th, which is kind of the university uh, street there, entertainment street. And I would really and I highly recommend it. And we don't, on our podcast, typically make recommendations like that. But, you know, we tell you what, it's, what it is and people can make their own decisions. This, one, this one's a must, must eat at. This one's a must eat at. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Boca. Going to If you find yourself crossing through Tucson, get up Boca. Then up to Sedona and up to Flagstaff. Oh, my God. So I was all over, all over the state. Where in the world is Greg Kirish? That's what I was that's what and, we're talking about. And the places were, you know, again, people wore masks. People were socially distanced. People were well well behaved. There didn't seem to be any anxiety. There was no uh, no loud voices. <laughs> Everything seemed to be very, very prosperous and going well. That's a sidebar conversation here. But I think as we come out of uh, the pandemic, my experience, and I'm, I'm not traveling to uh, the culinary meccas like you are uh, at this point, but I've been a few places and uh, on a plane ride or two, and I can't remember when people were so nice. 
I know if you watch the news, folks, every night you say, what's Dave saying? He, he, I, it's, it's horrible. People are angry in certain areas. Those are, I, I think, far and away the exceptions. But I have found that everybody is nice. And if they're wearing masks, they're smiling underneath the mask. They're polite. A lot of please and thank yous. And I could, for one, I couldn't be happier with that. I hope it lasts. I doubt it will. But for right now, everybody's feeling good about emerging out of the pandemic. And I think we're all grateful for many, many things. And 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 make no mistake, we, we clearly recognize that everybody's been hurting. I don't care uh, who you are in this world. You've had difficulties in the past 12, 15, 18 months, or whatever it's been. But for the moment, in a lot of places, in a lot of people, it's all good and it's all nice. So glad you mentioned that, Greg. Anyway, tell me more about Scottsdale, about Sedona, about Flagstaff. What other culinary uh, surprises did you find that were that made you smile? You know, there's a lot of different vibe in Scottsdale and up into Sedona as down in Tucson. Tucson is the feeling I got after just a few days, granted, is uh, more uh, traditional. Not that there isn't modern places and, you know, sleek new places coming in. But, uh, you know, I, I would describe Scottsdale is, and Phoenix as more modern and sleek, Tucson more traditional, if that, may, if that makes sense. It's been a long time since I've been in Tucson, but Tucson to me was real desert. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Phoenix, more suburban, more metropolitan. You got that feeling. Yes, you knew you were kind of deserty, but you're right. It's much more modern built up. Uh, that'd be a good first first impression. I don't know if people who live there feel feel that exactly like that, but yeah, it's, that's certainly the impression I came away with. You know, again, lots of stuff. I just you could really f- explore in a lot of different directions the culinary scene. But again, you know, after all I've read about Tucson, for example, it wasn't like I got there in a slap in the and it was a slap in the face. It just was it would hit you. I felt like I had to dig around, and thank goodness my friend Harry there, Chef Harry, helped guide me. He showed me the scene very very quickly. But it's certainly there. It's certainly there. You know, a lot of it. You know, like the African market that I had mentioned. These are in strip malls, which and there's plenty of those there on around Arizona, and not in any central location. So they're there. You just gotta know where to look for them and look for them. You know. Well, you've mentioned African a couple of times, uh, African cuisine a couple of times in this podcast. And, and one of the things I want to commit to doing with you, Greg, is I like to explore culinary adventures as well. I'm not as uh, experienced as you are probably, but, but at some point, hopefully very soon, you know, as things continue to open up, I want to grab some sort of uh, atlas. In the old days, you'd say an atlas, but uh, you, you know, for young, young people, those are books where you had maps and things in them. Uh, I know nobody knows what an, the hell an atlas is. I say, hey, how old is Dave? But what I want to do is I want to find the, the uh, ground zero, if you will, of the African cuisine in, in, in this part of the world. And then I want to go there and I want to spend a couple of days with you on that. I think uh, just a general comment, I think the continent of Africa is ready to explode culinary-wise, food beverage wise. I think it's got great wines, got great foods, got interesting people, wonderful people. And uh, I, I would love to explore it with you sometime soon, Greg. So we'll put that on our agenda to do. Well, Dave, that's a good segue for something I wanted to mention. And I know that this, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. We've been on a lot of tangents already. One more won't hurt. Yeah. So for our listeners, our DNA is uh, tabletop. 
and Absolutely. and tabletop products and and their other podcast every other Thursday, and that can be heard on every other Thursday podcast.com. Look at Greg getting the plug in. Love it, love it. We, we started out about a year ago, year and a half ago, mentioning a different product that we found interesting on tabletop every other Thursday and every every show. So I just found one that I found very interesting that it has never hit my uh, radar before, and it's spelled P O T. J-I-E, and it's a South African cooking pot. And I believe, and for our South African friends out there, please don't hold this against me, I believe it's spelled or pronounced pot-ye. It's a vessel, it's cast iron, it's very traditional in Africa, and it's a three leg, three legs. All of a sudden, it's it's a very utilitarian, very practical pot vessel, and it's being adopted in restaurants in Europe now, and I've heard people talk about it, and they said they're very surprised it hasn't hit here in the United States. So, folks, you heard it here first. It might be on the way, and this uh, might be adapted. Sounds, it sounds like an African Dutch oven. Yeah, exactly. Not right. just for the kitchen, but this might be something for serving at the tabletop. There you go. There you go. Okay, let's get back to Arizona and all your travels there. Tell us a little bit about what you saw outside of Scottsdale. You, we've been to Tucson with you. Anything else that we missed on Scottsdale and before we move just, on to Sedona and Flagstaff? Just lots of things going on. Anything that, you, that you're looking for is there. Of course, as you'd expect, lots of Mexican, Latin, Interesting things, because we're, you're next to Sonora, which is, I learned, the northern state that borders U.S., the Mexican state. It's the only area of Mexico where tortillas are traditionally flour versus corn. So I had, for example, chilaquiles, which is, uh, for those of you that don't know, a dish made with chopped up tacos. And it was tasted, it was quite different than I was used to. And it was because it was made with flour tortillas as opposed to corn tortillas. So there's all these subtle differences that make it different and make it in- interesting. And then when you're when you're traveling in the culinary places that you go, Greg, uh, you're talking to a lot of people. How was the reception from chef slash owners slash restaurateurs? I was out there for approximately 12 days, and I just found people in general to be extremely friendly. You know, there's certain parts of the country that are known or have a reputation for being abrupt and not friendly. Well, I found every place we went, people took took time to answer your questions. They, everybody was happy to seemed happy to see you. They They were gracious. The service was very good. I just found it a good experience. And uh, folks, I'm not on the Chamber of Commerce of any of these towns or the state of Arizona, but that was just my experience. You know, I will say this, and this, and, and I'm sure Arizona, the cities that we're, you're talking about and towns you're talking about are, are, are very friendly towns. But I, I just find that when you travel... If you're nice to people, generally speaking, people are nice back to you. And if if you're interested in them, they'll be interested in you. And if you want it to be transactional, go in, don't say anything, sit down, eat your food, pay your bill and get the hell out. That's a transactional experience. And you're probably missing 75, 80% of what we're talking about here, which is that hospitality component. I mean, the hospitality business is a real tough business. But uh, I think if you're 
if you enjoy it, truly immerse yourself as you do, Greg. I think that the rewards are many and you, you, you'll get an extra taste of something. You'll get a smile that somebody else may not get. And, and I think that's for many of our hospitality operators, that's the true reward is to know that they've satisfied the customer, giving you a great experience. And that, that's why I, I know I love the hospitality industry, and I'm, I'm sure that's that's part of why you love it too, Greg. A lot of those those folks are in transition or moving around to also. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know how many people that I talk to in restaurants, they had just moved there or moved there in the last couple of years from other parts of the country. So it, that creates a feeling that, you know, hey, we're all in this together kind of thing. Yeah. Now, going back to Sedona and Flagstaff, you're at different elevations. You're, at, you're obviously in the northern part of uh, Arizona versus Tucson. Differences between what you saw in Tucson and let's say those two areas, Sedona and Flagstaff? Absolutely. And, and a lot of that has to do with just geography because, uh, for example, Sedona is in this tight valley surrounding by mountains. So you don't have this kind of big urban sprawl. You're in a couple of, down a couple of highways with lots of strip malls. And that's where, and I don't say that negatively, that's just, you know, how it's, how it's situated. And so it has, it has a completely, a completely different feeling. And there's many upscale parts of it, just beautiful landscape and a lot, go, a lot going on. You could find a full spectrum of dining options, a lot going on. And, you know, it's, it's amazing now for having grown up in a mid-sized city back in the 60s myself and 70s for the most part in the Midwest, you go to these a town like Sedona and then you have the Thai restaurant, you have uh, the Indian restaurant, you have, I mean, these just didn't exist from my childhood. Sure. When you, when you, you know, and, but they're all, they're all there and they um, seem to be doing well and people know what they are and they seek them out. Then driving up to uh, Flagstaff, there was actually snow a week ago at the higher elevations. And it's it's a city that, again, it's surrounded by uh, forests and mountains. So you don't even realize how big the place is. You can't get a big vista like you can out in the desert. It's bigger than you think it is and more cosmopolitan than you think it is. Well, you're mentioning about growing up in a mid-sized city and not having Thai food and everything. I really, I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier, and that is that I think that international food and beverage experience, culinary experiences are the gateway to understanding international people and people not like ourselves. And I think that the world, again, would be a whole lot better off if we could all experience food from places far away, either far away geographically or far away philosophically. And it's pretty hard to uh, not fall in love with somebody who you're sitting across enjoying a great meal and a lot of laughs and a lot of smiles, a lot of good communication, I'll say, because I've sat at tables in Mexico City, for instance, where I wasn't able to to really understand what people were saying, but but you knew, you communicated through the look on your face and, and, the, and your actions, how much you were enjoying the meal and they were thrilled to have you in their restaurant. Greg, it's been great traveling through Arizona with you. Where, what's on the docket for next culinary sojourn? I'm going to be going up into, uh, definitely up into Wisconsin in the near future. Mil- I find Milwaukee to be a great. Oh, Milwaukee's awesome. I haven't, I've been there a few times. It's great. Yeah. Great restaurant town. Probably be heading up that way. Already planning trips in the summer and in the fall to New England. Again, you know, I'm starting my research on all what's going on in the, in the food scene in those places. Here, here's a pro tip for you. 
Don't sleep on Baltimore. Come to Baltimore and let's go around here because Baltimore is exploding as a food and beverage town. I've been saying it ever since Tabletop Journal moved to its new studios here. And and we're at the edge of the Canton neighborhood and Greektown neighborhoods here. And the whole city of Baltimore, it gets a bad rap because the negative news sells. But there's so much good food and beverage here. It's unbelievable. So put that on the docket, too. I will. There's stuff going on everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to checking it out and reporting back to our listeners. Greg, it's been great having you on Seat Yourself. I always love the every other Thursday podcast that we do together. And now uh, we're treating our Seat Yourself listeners to it as well. Super having you here. Thanks a lot. Have a great week ahead of you. And we'll be back in touch with Greg Kirish from every other Thursday. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.